We're going to celebrate the man of God, Pastor Jeff, his future mission, and celebrating at the same time even what God has continued for Big Bear Christian Center. So that's next Sunday. Um, and this is open event. You know, if there's somebody you go, oh my goodness, they should know. Don't assume anybody got an invitation. Many people did. Don't assume. Go tell them and say, call the church, put in your RSVP, and, and come out to celebrate that event. Hallelujah. Uh, one other announcement. 2 p.m. today. We need bodies. Bodies that can move chairs, fold things, move move platforms at the tent site from 2 p.m. for a couple of hours looking for a number of people. If you can spare an hour or two, please go out there at, at 2 o'clock and move, help move chairs. We've got to pull out all those things down. That would be great for anyone who has a little bit of strength left in their bones. Amen. Well, we want to... We want to, we're going to get to the word, and I've asked Pastor Jeff to bring the word, but we want to share a little bit about what happened in Mexico. And so come on, let's just do this together. And, and we've got Pastor Jeff put together some pictures. In 1996, in 1996, through a connection of a man who attended Big Bear Christian Center, Clifford Larson, he called Pastor Jeff, and I may get some of these details wrong, and said, there's a... There's a pastor that, that from Mexico that I really want you to meet. And so we brought this pastor from Mexico into our missions. Was it our missions conference? Missions conference, time? yeah. We had yeah. a week-long yeah. missions conference with a different speaker every night. And he was the last one, I think, that week. And uh, so 19, he, he comes in and he, he preached a message. And immediately hearts were connected between <coughs> Pastor Jeff and Aaron and, you know, the circle just can, from that moment went on between Pastor Aaron and Clifford Larson and all the fun things. But So we began to connect personally and, and relationally with Aaron De La Borda. He's, he, that was the same year he started up a new church in, I always do that for Sal because it's behind me. You know, I, don't, I think it's uphill. Yeah. <laughs> but in, in Mexico, in 1996, they started a church in Texcoco, Mexico, which is about 45 minutes outside of, of the Distrito Federal, the, you know, the, the, the main city there in Mexico City. They started with just a couple of women in a back storage room. Actually, they started in a house, and one of the husbands said they couldn't meet there anymore because these were all Catholics. Exactly. They were all Catholic, and so these wives wanted to get saved, and they began to get saved, just a, couple, just a few women. They were meeting in a home, and one of the husbands says, you can't do that anymore. And so... They opened up, a gentleman opened up a bodega, a little storage area for them to begin to meet. And just, I mean, it was a nursery, it was dirty, it was tight. It was about a 10 by 12, 15, yeah. I mean, it was really small, and they started the church there. The, the wives actually would lie to their husbands and tell their husbands that they were going to Mass because their husbands wouldn't let them go. Right. And so they would go and they began to meet there. And in 1996, they, they officially started the church. And when we were down there this time, the church is, is just blown out. They built balconies in this huge room, all in the same location. They just started encroaching. There was a man who, a man and his wife who lived in this building, and they let him use the little storage area. And then as the church got big, they said, well, we'll move our stuff away, and they started opening up the area. And now he is living in, he is living now almost in the 10 by 12, yeah. and the church has taken everything else and is also beginning to build up. They built an apartment there for missionaries and for the pastor, uh, Pastor Aaron, when he stays. There's been so much growth, and there was 
250 people. Yeah, they actually have over 450 people in the church now. 450. They have about 15 cell groups throughout the city, and, and they've uh, planted five other churches. Five other churches. Over time, yeah. Right. We're, we're intimately involved with two of those, one in Cuatro Vientos, which you'll see here, and the other is uh, Iztapalapa, which we're trying to reconnect. And they've actually done some outreaches down in Chiapas as well. So we haven't made it down that far. I'm chicken. <laughs> down in Chiapas, it's a little rough, you know. But anyway, you know, one thing that happens, and uh, I, I think I can tie this together too for you this week. Um, when that first week when Aaron De La Borda was here, everything was totally in Spanish and interpreted. And we received offerings every night for the missionaries that spoke all week long. Now, if you're on the inside of a church leadership team and you realize that you're receiving offerings every night for a week, you're thinking about that guy that speaks last, what's going to be left? And here's this guy we've never met. He's from Mexico. He's traveled a long ways. And uh, man, I you know, sure hope the church can come through for this guy. And uh, so every night the offerings were like $300, $200, $300 for each missionary. But when Aaron De La Borda spoke, he left here with nearly $1,000 at the end of the week. And it was, it was absolutely apparent at the moment that God had connected our hearts to him. As the Bible says, where your heart is, it's where you put your money. And I was impressed. I was really impressed. I thought, we got a hot wire on our hands here, and I'm not sure what to do with this guy. <laughs> but now he's my twin brother. And, uh, that's what we call each other down in Mexico. He says, well, he's my older twin. Yeah. It was hard for the translator. When, when Pastor Jeff was talking about my my my, old, my twin brother who's older than me, the translator knew that he must have been mistaken, yeah. and so he translated just to my older brother. We had to stop him and say, "No, he's his twin. He's just older." He's, whatever. <laughs> well, we found you know. out over time that he and I are very similar. He is older than me by seven years, but our families have the same number of people. I, I walked into his home uh, when I first was down there. I walked into the kitchen. I thought, this looks exactly like my kitchen. <laughs> I mean, the, almost the same refrigerator, same appliances. I thought, this is scary. <laughs> so anyway, we've fallen in love with them over the years, and we've helped them buy the property that they're on and expand into uh, Brother Martin's house. And uh, he is, Brother Martin has lost his wife. He's had no children his whole uh, life. And so the church is his family. And so slowly and surely, he's been selling off his property and giving his property to the church to expand into. And uh, now they own everything on this one site. So, yeah, it was very exciting and very expensive. So they're right in downtown Texcoco, which is like, for us, that would be like going to Ontario. Okay? Mexico City is L.A. Texcoco would be Ontario. And they have airports. And it's, it's really scary, the similarities to where we live anyway. So. We want to run these? Let's run some pictures. Andale pues. Por favor. Uh, obviously our common ground. The word of God, both languages, right? We centered on Jesus. Next. I don't have the clicker. They baptized 14 people the morning we were there on the 16th anniversary of the church. Um, one of the men that was baptized later in the morning was uh, had lost his leg to diabetes. And so they explained to us, we're going to pour water over it. Now, they're very concerned about being scripturally accurate, as we all should be, right? And uh, so, Pastor Jeff, what do you think? I said, let's do it. Let's do it. And so they baptized this guy right in his wheelchair on, on top of the ground. Yeah, right. They didn't put him in the pool. 
Oh. Yeah, no, it, you got it. There's, there's something that's kind of fun here. This is the front of the church. And do we have any, are we any pictures of the mm. front with the worship team on there? Uh, yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. okay. You see, see this platform they're standing on? That platform is now in the front of the church. It's right over the water. Right over the baptism. This, it, it takes up the entire front about 40 feet wide and about 12 feet deep. And it's on wheels. The and they wheel the whole platform over to the side to do special events and baptisms. And I think that's some pretty fun and uh, creative, creative ways of doing it. Yeah. These are pictures with my phone, by the way, so they're not that great. But the worship team is twice that size on the other end. The drummer's way over on the left. But uh, I'm just impressed how they incorporate so many people in the worship team now. So, quick. There we go. This is looking from the sanctuary down the hallway to the three-story apartment on the left, the white building. Uh, that's where we stay when we're there is up in the upper room. And uh, it's a very nice up there. And this is the hallway last year. I think it was, or maybe a couple of years ago on the left. This year they said, hey, see our stairs? We put in a balcony. I mean, every year they're doing something to expand. And in the next picture, you'll see just a view up of this balcony. The stairs will be off to the left. And this is Brother Martin's house right here. It goes right into his living room. <laughs> and those, those upstairs rooms have been converted into teaching rooms for Sunday school classes and, and events. And those used to be the bedrooms of his home. So we put in an outside stairway to get the kids up there for the classes and stuff. And we've always stood on the end above the water on that platform, looking at the house, preaching toward the house, saying, we're going to own that one day. We're going to own that one day. And now we do. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Click. Yeah, go ahead. One of the things, we were there for the 16th um, anniversary of the church. It's again, started in 1996. The way I'll never forget it is, is every time we have an anniversary, so do they. So Shannon and I have been married 16 years. Right. They got, we got married the same year the church started. How about that? And one of the things they did is they brought up the leaders and, and those who were serving in ministry. And he began to call without any notes. It was amazing. His, his mind, he, he knows the Bible. Um, he's memorized more of the Bible than the Maybe some of you have read. I mean, he is quite amazing. Uh, he, he pulls verse, but he's also got a. He, he knows his leaders, and he began to call them one at a time and tell them what they did, and just name, 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 and call them. Oh, well, it's getting big. Until 78 people were standing in front. He named them all without notes and got all of his. I couldn't even get all seven churches for the celebration event last night. He got all 78 leaders, and uh, but this here. Is his his pastors, his elders, yeah. but each one of them is now considered a pastor uh, of the church, and they've been serving faithfully, and they're they're members in the community and strong members in the church. And the guy on the right was our host all week long, Pastor Angel, and his wife Hortensia. Um, in case some of you don't know, the guy in the middle is Pastor Aaron De La Borda. He's the guy we're talking about, the leader of the church. Angel was our driver. He cared for us all week, so we kept saying that all week long we had Angel watching over us. <laughs> <laughs> Click. Okay. This young man, um, when we got there last year, we had an amazing interpreter. Antonio was our interpreter. We connected. He lived in, uh, in Florida, went to uh, Pensacola Bible College. He knew English and Spanish. He was from Mexico, but he knew English amazing. He even knew a lot of you know, uh, humor and phrases. So he was one of the best translators we've ever had. Oh, he knew the Bible well, too, and which he, really helps when you hit a good Bible name, you know, and they go, oh. Yeah, they're, they're, the Bible names are sometimes very different in, in English. So he, he had all that. It was great. We, we fully expected him to be there. 
And when we showed up, there was no interpreter. And Aaron says, you're interpreting and preaching all in Spanish this week. And so... Rob's turn to grow. Oh, man, oh, man. And so it was, it was, it was really stretching. <laughs> we came upon Christopher. Christopher is, is the, uh, one of the two children of, of a couple in the church who's very committed to the church. Ignacio, but everyone calls him Nacho. Nacho. And, and so Nacho. Um, he's an amazing young man. And I've watched him. as he, He's only 15 now. But we watched he was him barely he was born growing. when we started this event. You yeah. know, he was barely on the scene. That's right. That's right. And uh, you know, I, I knew that he was playing keyboard a little bit last year. And this year, I show when I showed up, he's playing bass guitar and he's playing slap bass. He's going bop, 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 bop. And I said, "When did you start?" He says, "Oh, a little bit after you came last year." And he plays guitar, keyboard, um, bass guitar, and we were doing worship together one night. I'm just amazed at this young man. And the pastor, Aaron, said, I'm going to do worship. Follow me. He was the keyboard player, and I was playing guitar. And Aaron just started singing these songs that were 25 and 30 years old. And he just started going, this is the song. And he would go, it's in D. And, and then he told me all the chords as we were playing. He says, G, A minor, G minor, C. And he did that for about 10 songs, and his mind is amazing. He speaks English. We made him our translator after two days of failing for me. And yeah, no, he was not he was not failing. He was doing just fine and he preached in Spanish. He did great. He did great. But it was just a lot easier to recruit. And this is one thing that God has used us on over the years to help the church grow in minor ways when we're there. Which lets us feel pretty good about going. Because uh, we're down there saying, Why are we here? What are we gonna do this time? And there for example, in their cell groups when they first started cells, we were ministering, helping them understand how they're organized by cells, and they had maybe seven, five or seven cell groups. We would go to the cells when we were there for a week, or we'd go every night to somewhere or daytime to a cell group and be in each cell and minister there. And when we'd get there, Pastor Aaron would come with us, and he would take over the cell group every time. He's a teaching machine. He'd ask a question, somebody would answer halfway and then he'd elbow him out and start teaching like this. <laughs> I mean, he's just, he's just so full. And we, we teamed up on him. We'd get our team together and say, okay, now when he does that, let's elbow him out. <laughs> and we, we'd lay a plan before we get to the next cell group. And Aaron would go, yeah, and the Bible says, and we go, what do you think about what we were saying there, uh, Carlos? And Carlos is like, should I talk now? And he'd go, yeah. And we'd grab Aaron's arm and hold him down. And, well, now... And, and we asked him, we said, what are you doing? He says he drived, he would drive to every cell group, some of them 40, 50 miles away from his house, every night to be in a cell group somewhere. He was running them all. He said, you got this, you got this incredible layer of leadership that's sitting around waiting to explode. Turn them loose. And so over the years he's done that. Now he's got 15 cell groups. Half of them are led by, by university professors and their families, and it's powerful. This, all those leaders you see. Now he's got five pastors. And, and now he's talking to me about transitioning. He's saying, I need to know what you did. So we'll still be involved. But this year, this was probably, our, my, for me, our high point. Yeah. I was grabbing this 15-year-old saying, you know, you can interpret for us. And he went, oh, oh, I've never done that. He said, well, think about it. You understand what we say in English clearly. He says, sure. So, so all you have to do is speak in your own language. He went, oh. Oh, I could do that. <laughs> well, come on out. Let's give it a try. And he did excellently. Excellent. Excellent. The kid, I think he's a genius on about four or five levels. Yeah, literally. Quite so, yeah. 
2004, you might recognize the guy playing the guitar. This was, this was the uh, event in 2004 when we were there. And uh, we can click again. We'll just move through these. This is the building. You go back one for me. Oh, yeah, there's a great shot of Rome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, they have bare floors, tarp roofs. See the light bulbs are just kind of hanging. Uh, pretty rudimentary stuff. But this was way beyond where we started. I tried to find a picture of when we first started. They pretty much draped a tarp over half of a concrete house that was just block walls and no roof. So they pulled the tarp over the roof and threw a light bulb inside. First time we preached there, the generator ran out of gas and, and uh, it was dark. There's no electricity anywhere. And this light bulb, one little light bulb, you know, you hear And I mean, I went like this. I could not see my hand. This place is dark. And some taxi driver went through his car. <laughs> got, the, got the generator going. That little light bulb came on. I went, oh, hallelujah. Because you know, Aaron had said, we need to get this service done before the sun goes down, and you'll, you'll see why. And, but now there's now it's really built up. But, so, uh, yeah, bare floors, tarp roof. It was nice. They had concrete floor in there. It was good. Again, click. There's Rob preaching away in Spanish. <laughs> so this is uh, this is it now, with uh, you know they got carpet of the platform built and they got a permanent roof on. Go click, and uh, you can see they've got little they've included skylight areas in them and they save electricity, and uh, they've got a projector system set up. And, you know they're starting to really they're becoming something that people in the community are attracted to, and that's important. It's not about material items. It's just that. People want to go to something that's a little higher than what they own. And, if, and I don't have any pictures of the area, really, but it's a poor, poor area. When we first started going out there, Aaron said, we're going to go to the, you know, Jesus said, take care of the poor. He said, I agree. He says, well, we're going to go take care of the poor of the poor. And you'll see. And it was true. You know, no lights, no water, just real rough. So, that's Ignacio. That's, yeah, Christopher's dad. Led worship. So, nice. The machine, he's going to come in January or February and be with us if he can. And pray for that. And uh, the, uh, he'll either come with one person flying or he'll come with a car load if they drive up. So, go ahead. You were getting ready to no, say something. Uh, back it up there, just one if you would, please. That's Stephen De La Borda, who went to Bible college and graduated. Now he's the pastor of the church in Cuacavientos, and it's his son. Okay, thank you. Next. That's his little family. Last year we were there, we dedicated Matthew, who was just born just a little over a year now. As, as I was connecting with, you know, Estefan, um, he's the new pastor of Cuatro Vientos. He could become the pastor of the church in Texaco. Mm -hmm. But our, I was really looking to him because as a, as a mission, you know, Texcoco really doesn't need our financial support. In fact, this year, they paid for our plane tickets to go. Yeah, so church, so yeah. what a change in events from the past where they needed us a lot of help. Yeah. But Cuatro Vientos has, you know, you could put 200 people in that place fully tithing and they still probably wouldn't have enough money to operate, you know, I mean, yeah. to keep salaries and things That's because it's, they're so poor there. And so we're really praying about, will God continue to link our hearts once again in a financial way from this church? And that would be the pastor's wife and the baby, their firstborn, Matthew. 
Mateo. Okay. And, and you know, there's a lot of, again, the similarities continue. You know, Rob and Stefan are contemporaries. And, you know, to carry it now from having myself and Aaron having helped build up to Skokul and Sense as senior pastors, now we got these young guys ready to take on the new future. It's just, I'm really excited to watch it happen. Yeah, this is a corner we turn on. Every time we, when we leave Tescoco to go to Cuatro Vientos, we have to go to this corner and turn right here. And I look up every time and go, oh, we're going to Cuatro Vientos. <laughs> and there's Benedetti's. I don't know why we've not eaten there yet. We've eaten a lot of places, but not Benedetti's. And I, I sent that to Mike and Kay. I said, hey, look what's here. Another thing I got to keep conquer down there is is I had to drive in Texcoco and it's crazy. It's oh my just, gosh. It gives you shivers, but but uh, we, we tackled that once too. Go ahead yeah. go to the next slide. This um, is this is Quattro Vientos in two thousand four. This is the, the classroom for Sunday school. Okay? And the kitchen combined. Alright? Quick sanctuary will look like then. This is the kitchen and the classroom area that you the church is actually the building behind the bathrooms there. And this is the kitchen and the classrooms. These are classrooms. Now the, the church is on the right, and they've can, can finished this piece on the left for classrooms and this hallway, and they're going to move the front door to this. We're right in the center here. Move it over from the church and put it there. Down at the end, uh, you see Damas y Hombres. The bathroom's built down on the end now. A little sink down there for the kitchen. This is looking from inside toward the church. We fed all the... Everybody came to the pastor's conference on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. fed them breakfast and lunch. There's no charge for anything when they put this on. It's, it's very much like here. Yeah, very much like here. Yeah. More rain. Yeah, more rain. This is the church in 2004. You know, when they first got it kind of up, and this was the team that went down that year. You see that I'm, what I want to let you know is just simply is the condition, you know, dirt street, et cetera. <coughs> Next. See, now i got a concrete uh, street out front, curbs, plants, things we're looking up. This is Tom and Nancy. This is old Quattro Vientos. And then a little newer. Things are improving. With all the rebar sticking up. He's going to bring that from the classroom. They're going to build the roof across to the church and then go up to second story. And uh, that, that's something we can be involved in. And Tom Henry, some of you know Tom. He was in the last picture. Tom and Nancy now live in North Carolina. Uh, they, he's an architect. And when we were down there, he did the proverbial, hey, I got a real vision for this place. And he grabbed a napkin. You know how you do napkin. Everything starts on a napkin somewhere. And he sketched out stuff. Then they started throwing paper and he kept sketching did renderings and they just did it right there on the spot. They kept those and that's what they're building. They're building exactly what he put on the napkins. They, they got so excited. You see the mountain in the middle? Everybody repeat after me. Popo. Catepetl. Not bad. Popo Catepetl. That's the name of the mountain. And uh, in this, and I was driving, we were saying, oh, Popo está Poco enojado, which means Popo is a little angry. It's a volcano. It's active. And it was active all week while we were there. We are driving in the Cuatro Vientos looking up at this volcano, making its own cloud formations and stuff. Pretty cool, huh? Why does it matter? 
Why does all this matter? They're at the altar. These people are at the altar. And, you know, there's not a big crowd there, but these are, these are some of the people in the leadership conference. And they're going to affect hundreds of people. They're there committing their lives before we preach. There's an altar call. Let's commit our lives to Christ. And we pray over them. We minister to them. God often gives us prophetic words for them that encourage them. It's amazing how the prophetic can span language and, and geography and, and, uh, and cultures and be absolutely accurate through the translation. And it's just really exciting. Why does it matter? Sometimes I ask that when I go. You can ask Rob. Uh, right till the time we're getting on the plane, I'm trying to figure out a way to stay home. And uh, I said, man, there's a way. And I had a nosebleed in the airport. And I don't know if you, my nosebleeds sometimes when they, they last about an hour. And so I'm mopping up in the hallway and got blood all over me. And I'm thinking, this is it. This is my out. You <laughs> can't possibly get on a plane with a nosebleed like this. They're going to make me stay home. Yes. And then when I land there, I forget where I live. Sorry. I think, oh, these people are going to suck me up. I'm going to live here forever. It's just almost inescapable, isn't it? Walking down the street the last day and saying goodbye, and I feel it right now. I mean, they just tear your heart out of your chest. You think, why would I ever leave this place? Uh, it's terrible. It's awful. As we were walking to the car leaving this last time, I said, he's just, he's got, he's crying. And, oh. and I says, next year, please remember how you feel now. <laughs> so we don't have to drag you there once again. <laughs> yeah, because he had to go through all the pain of that. <laughs> Anything else, sir? I think that's the last slide, isn't it? That's the last one. Oh. Great trip, and, and you know, be praying for them, and be praying how God might connect us. And we want to bring Pastor Aaron, and I really like to bring Estefan Ooh, with him. And that's what I told him. I said you know, that would be the connection that we might come maybe together. Hey, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. Um, I, I, you reminded me of something, and I need to switch missions for just a moment. And, but it was based on, you know, you can tell when we connect as a body with a, a missionary, often in the size of the offering that we give. And I want to commend you guys. Um, last week when we received Jason Friend, we blessed him, and he was blown away at the, the uh, offering that, that you guys uh, gave to him. And he wrote this letter to you. Dear friends at Big Bear Christian Center, I was honored to have been with you this past Sunday. And I thank you from the depths of my heart for your generosity. Thank you for such a generous offering. What an awesome privilege it was to be with you and share in the powerful things God did in our midst. You are on the brink of something powerful and God is about to begin something amazing. Remember, God is opening wonderful doors for you this week, this month, and this year. I look forward to hearing wonderful reports. Thank you once again for your heart and kindness. We pray that our partnership will continue until the Lord returns. May the Lord continue to bless you richly, Jason and Cindy Friend. And so there's a, a thank you and a kudos to you. You know, our, our small church loves big. And, and so I, I'm just blessed to be part of this. And in our short, short amount of time, we have Pastor Jeff come and, and continue on on our series as we're wrapping up over the next couple of weeks. We're almost there, church. We want to hear from, from him and uh, our evangelism. Praise the Lord. Okay. Thanks for the opportunity, Pastor Rob. You know, I had the I had the steering wheel of this device for 28 years, and uh, 
full control. It was awesome. And now I, now I have a privilege of doing this, and so it's, a, it's quite an honor to be able to share. If you uh, what, would like to turn in your scriptures with me to start, John chapter 6 would be a, a, starting, a starting point for us. John chapter 6. I want to talk this morning briefly because that's how much time we have about being fulfilled as a believer. Being fulfilled as a Christian. Uh, I, I tend to believe that er, all of us possess an inward desire that our life and our work should have some meaning and some permanence to it. And when it's over that uh, we're able to say like the Apostle Paul, maybe not on the grandest scale as he, but uh, when he said, you know, I've, I've run the race, I've fought the fight, I've kept the faith. Therefore, now there's laid up for me a crown of glory, not only for me, but for all those who love him and his appearing. And we don't want um, our contributions to just kind of be lost in the vastness of eternity. We want to be counted as someone of, of value to the kingdom of God, right? Isn't that what you hope for, that you know, you're, you're actually achieving a purpose in God and a design, and you want to be able to say, I, I did my best, that God helped me. I grew, I matured, I, I functioned. And uh, not that just doing something all the time is our value, but we grew into what he wanted us to be. And out of that came some meaning and some benefit, whether just to our families or our grandchildren or, or those around us at work. But we had some purpose. We weren't just taken up, as Jason said, in the, you know, sitting around sucking up the air conditioning. You know, we're, we, uh, we have a reason for being. And uh, the only way that I believe sincerely you know there's a lot of things that can direct our lives in the in the world and education and vocations and training and and uh, growing up in a family the way we learn things there but truly if you want to find out what your purpose is in life you're going to find it in the word of god right sincerely we understand once we come to christ we realize there's more to know about his design for me that comes from his word than from anywhere else i mean a tree just grows up in the forest and does what it's supposed to and we get excited. We even sing songs about the trees of the field will clap their hands. And we resound from Scripture that mountains will bow down and, and uh, seas will roar at the name of God, at the name of Jesus. And you know what? They're designed to do that, and that's what they do. They, it's the only thing they can do. You and I have a choice. And when we come to Christ, we realize there's a, through the being born again and through the new birth, becoming a new creation in Him, that there must be some reason for me to be here. And it's probably beyond what a tree does. And it's probably beyond what the ocean does. Those things inspire us, but it stirs something inside of us that says, Hey, uh, my days are numbered. Moses said in Psalm chapter 90, uh, he said, Our days are numbered and we want them to count. Lord, uh, in your mercy, make us glad and establish the work of our hands. Make me glad about being alive and then establish what I'm supposed to do. And when I do it, then confirm it and put your blessing on it and let it be good as it blesses you and what you designed before. You know, guys that, uh, and we often pick on contractors and guys that work with their hands because they go out during the day and they build things. And ladies, uh, not to exclude you, I'm just using that as an illustration, okay? But they create things, they build things. And I know when I was in construction 100 years ago, that I can still drive you up in the moon range and point at a house that may be decaying by now, but I can say, hey, I, I helped build that house. There's that. And there's something about esteem that comes to me. You go, well, I did something that's still there. 
It's a value, and somebody still lives in it and comes to it on the weekends or whatever. And I'd like to go knock on the door and say, hey, I helped build your house. And they might say, well, you're the guy we've been looking for. <laughs> so I, I don't go do that. I'm not going to tell them. we got this problem over here. It's always leaked in this one corner. Uh, but in John chapter 6, uh, and these are just some passages, 6 and verse 28, Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. The initial work for any person on the planet is to first believe. That's where it all starts. If we don't believe in God, there's really, you know, we might get some things done on the planet, but they're not going to count for much. They will decay right along with us in the grave. And then we'll go to a Christless eternity. So the first step for anyone is to come to know Christ. And at that point, when we, when we enter into this vital relationship with God, then we can begin to do something. Then we become valuable. Then there's uh, any effort that comes through us is that Christ living his life through me. It's, uh, it's going to be of permanent value. Things I do now can have an eternal ramification, not temporary anymore. Right? Now, ladies, I know that sometimes when um, I'm pretty domestic, you know, I, 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 when Peggy's gone, I do laundry and dishes. And, yeah, it's amazing, I know. I actually fold things and put them away. Yeah. I know you're impressed. Well, you know, next week you got to do it again, right? It's not permanent. <laughs> it's, it's not eternal. It's not lasting. I wish it was. But, we can, but some things we do are temporary. But once we come to Christ, a lot of what we do has eternal significance. And we want to live in that. Our, our, but our first step is to believe. Simply to believe and accept Christ into our hearts. When he comes into our hearts... He begins this foundation, and some of you may have heard me refer to this before. There's a, a if you can imagine, a triangle with me, a real simple triangle. The bottom, I, I use the word becoming. On the two sides, I use relating and achieving. This, these are not uncommon phrases in, in many arenas, but it's what we need as human beings created by God. We need to become, then we need to, to relate, and then we need to achieve. And this gives us a fullness to our life. And I'm talking this morning about being fulfilled as a believer. How do I come to this fulfillment that God has designed for me? I, I come to him, I believe. Then I discover his agenda for my life through his word. I begin to live it out. And the foundation of that, it, it's much like, you remember the story of the little boy that was, would walk every day past the sculptor's house? And the sculptor had a new block of, of, of granite there, a rock in his you know, big picture window, bay window that he worked in, the artist. And every day he would be chipping on this rock and the boy would walk by and he'd look in the window and he'd wonder, I wonder what that's going to be. What's he making? And every day he'd walk back and forth. Eventually, this eagle emerges from the rock. And the little boy just can't take it anymore. So he goes up to the door and he knocks and the artist comes and after their proper introductions, who's who, and he says, hey, I have a question. I just have to know, how did you know that eagle was in there? <laughs> How did you know it was in there? And sculptors often say that's how they work. They just they see what they're going after and they chip away everything that doesn't work. Everything that's not supposed to be there, they take away. 
And this is what happens when we come to Christ. This regeneration begins. The Bible says we're regenerated. We're, we're born to be conformed to his image. Romans chapter 8, verse uh, 28. You're, some of you are very familiar with this. For those who are not, let me read it. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. He regenerates us. He, it's not a rehashing. It's a new creation. It's, a, it's a, a start that God looks at the blockhead you are. He sets you up in his window and he starts chipping away everything that's not supposed to be there. Because he sees the eagle that's inside. He sees the design he's already made for you. He's known you, the Bible says, from the foundation of the world. From before the beginning of time, he knew you. Now, that's a concept I cannot grasp. I can speak to it. I can read about it. I can imagine it. But the fact that God can be everywhere at once, I don't get a hold of that very quickly. And in that moment, eternity is every, it's all around. There's no linear space for him. It's not a problem. He sees everything at once. And in that moment, God knew you. And he already has a design. And he's got a place of fulfillment for you. And you come to him you say, I'm just a blockhead. I guess all I have to offer is this big chunk of rock and nothingness. He says, that's okay. I've got a, I've got a nice bay window. I can put you in it. And if you'll let me, I'll start the process of regeneration. I'll bring the life of Christ inside of you. And then we'll start chipping away everything that doesn't belong there. And one day you'll be exactly what I've designed you to be. And you'll fulfill what I've called you to do. But first you have to become. Becoming is the foundation of the triangle. Becoming his. Becoming useful in his hand. And you know what? A cooperating uh, piece of stone is helpful. You, know, you don't want to be resistant. Screaming and yelling. No, don't chip that away. Stop that. No, I'm not giving that up. I'm hanging on to that piece of me. If we'll just yield. And, and you know, maybe we need to chirp a little. Oh, that hurts. <laughs> We're living stones, after all. But if we'll bring a willful obedience to the work, it will hasten the day. Now, you and I probably know people, um, not ourselves or anybody in our family or anybody in the church probably, Right? that isn't always cooperative to the work of God. And you wonder, will they ever get there? Sometimes you know a person well enough to see that there's something in their life that God wants to do, and especially in your cell groups. You get close. And in your life groups, you know each other well. And there are times you look across the room and say, man, if they would just settle down and let go and let God work on that place in their life, they would grow. And you wait for God to give you an opening to speak into the life because iron sharpens iron. Friendships strengthen one another. We're not looking to condemn each other. We're saying oftentimes we recognize it before they do. And we need to say to them, hey, can I pray with you? You seem to be struggling. <laughs> I mean, God's just trying to get this thing to come out of you and you're just fighting it. Could you just let go? You're irritating me. <laughs> I, I just, it's making me upset. I mean, do you not see this? 
And of course, husbands, we do have wives that will help with that as well. Because <laughs> they often see it before we do. And ladies, don't be fooled. We see it in you before you do too. We just don't feel like we could say much about it. <laughs> I'm going to read right through, blazing through some scriptures. And I, I don't know if you're going to follow me with these or not, but John 3. Jesus answered and said to him, he's talking to Nicodemus, Most surely I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. If you're familiar with the Scriptures, Ezekiel chapter 37, we won't go there, but it's about the valley of dry bones. The bones are dead, and and the question is asked, can these bones live? And the Spirit of God comes into those bones, and they rise up, and they take on new life. Right? Regeneration, being born again, is important. Psalm 51, three verses, 2, 7, and 10. The psalmist is crying out, David, in his sin, in his repentance. He says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Purge me with hyssop. And I shall be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. He's, he's a person who is following God, who has fallen away and said, now renew me. Cause the regeneration of your life to come back into me. I can make it back. I can make it back if you'll do this work in me. But you know what? Regeneration is not something you and I can do. We cannot accomplish this on our own. There are some things that only God can do for us. Salvation, forgiveness, healing. These are things that God does. We can't do them. We can only implore Him and invite Him and then yield to Him so that He can accomplish it in us. Here the psalmist is crying out, Do this in me. John chapter 15, I am the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. This regenerated life has a place of plugging into Christ and deriving life from him. When we try to do it ourselves, anybody trying to do it yourself this week? Come on, chickens, raise your hands. I will. I tried a bunch of times to do it myself this week. And, and you know what I spend most of my time doing in the worship service? Repenting. Because I go to worship him, and that thing stands in front of me. Father, will you forgive me for that? That was really stupid. That was me again, getting in the way. I didn't let Jesus live through me. I decided to do it myself. And he forgives me. I get a new start, and I go back to worship. And another one pops in. Sometimes I don't think I'll get through the worship service before I have to preach. And there'll be four or five left. I say, can we get to those later? Abiding in Christ. The life has to come from him. If I try and do it myself, I will fail. Because Jesus said, and if the Son of God says it, it's right. Amen? He said, neither can you unless you abide in me. That's pretty clear cut. There's only one option, abiding in him. And this next one's just too long. I'm going to pass that up. Romans chapter 6. 
2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. This is very familiar to most of us. But when we come to Christ and the life of Christ, we're regenerated by God. It's not just a reshaping of the old you. Old things are passed away. You get to be brand new. It's a miracle. And it's a miracle that only God can perform. This is what Jesus was talking to Nicodemus. said, you have to be born again. Whatever's born of the flesh is flesh. But if you're born again of the spirit, you're spirit. And... Uh, I, I'm a male, so I compartmentalize a lot. You know, we're like waffles. We have little squares. And we don't let the squares touch. They're very separate. Ladies are like spaghetti. Place where everything touches everything. It's, it's all runs together. And, you know, we have to say, could you stop just for a second? I'm not getting why that's connected to that. And I'm lost. But <laughs> when I think about being born again of the Spirit, I realize that what you're looking at on the outside isn't me anymore. That's what carries me. What I look at is what carries you. But the real you is alive forever. Right? Those who come to Christ will never die, Jesus said. That means whoever's living inside your skin right now lives for eternity. You're alive forever now. I don't know if you catch that as a revelation or if it means something to you or not. But to me, I realize that even though one day this cuerpo, this body of mine is going to quit working. Unless Jesus comes first. But it's going to quit working and it'll get laid down. But the real me goes right on living. You know, the first funeral we did in the church, we're looking at history. Jimmy Martinez. Uh, he was driving truck in tandem rig for Sears, full of appliances. Both rigs, full of appliances. And he's hauling the mail down through Mojave. And there's, if you're a truck driver, you've ever done that route up to Mojave, you know there's a way you cut, you cut the big triangle off. You can cut through to the north, uh, but it was a dark two-lane road, and, and uh, he was 55, came over this little hill, and there was unmarked railroad tracks, and the tr train runs into some things further down, and he came over the hill, and by the time he realized, because the train tracks were below the horizon, and it was dark, and so it blended right into the mountains behind, and he didn't even see it, and by the time he got, got close enough to see it, there was only one way out, and that was to turn just slam the rig sideways and try and slide it down along the train tracks in this little dirt road. No chance. Just put the, He turned it far enough to put the corner of his cab right into the side of the train. And we had his funeral here in the little building they store. It was the first casket we'd ever had in the church. It was snowing. It was crazy. His wife was asking the questions that wives ask when their husbands are gone. Where is he? What's going on? How did it happen? And I said, well, this is what I see from the scriptures. But Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so, my mind, I see Jimmy driving that, holding on that wheel, just barreling, making his time, and then in a moment of fright, he pulls like this, and the next thing you know, there's no wheel, and there's Jesus. I thought, I don't think he felt the thing. Gone and in the presence of God. That's nothing to not look forward to. I don't want to go that way necessarily. But I, I kind of hope to sort of go to sleep one day and just not wake up. That's fine. You know, uh, 
I could avoid the moment of panic. That'd be good for me. But nonetheless, to steering wheel to no steering wheel. Second Timothy 2.19 says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of becoming, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. We have to become first. It's the foundation of this little triangle. Becoming his, letting him regenerate us, give us new life. After that, achieving and relating become natural. Naturally, in the spirit. We, we, if our foundation is sure, we're in Christ and we're deriving and abiding in him, as life is flowing in us, then achieving is what he asks us to do on a daily basis. It's letting his life flow out through us. It's, it's accomplishing the work he gives us to do. It's, uh, it's knowing that I might, in the kingdom of God, I might be one who plants. And somebody else, like in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, you know, I, Paul plants and Peter waters, but it's God that gives the increase. We're not sectarian in our pursuit of God. I might help one get closer. I might plant a seed. I might water uh, what's already there. But God gives the increase. And my work is just simply achieving what God has called me to do. All of us are called to accomplish expanding the kingdom of God. When it says, go into all the world, and as you're going, make disciples. One of the things I've asked Pastor Rob to do next week in the, on, at the dinner on the 22nd, um, which scares me, by the way, but I'll be there, uh, is at some point during the, during the time together to ask three questions. Actually, I only gave you two, but I'm looking for a third one. And is to say, if, if Pastor Jeff led you to the Lord, would you stand? And, or did Pastor Jeff baptize you? Would you stand? And, uh, yeah, some of you are going, oh, that would be my turn to stand. Or if he did your wedding, would you stand? And I, maybe that's selfish of me to ask those questions, but I know that that's going to totally render me speechless to see that God could have used me to do anything of value from being the blockhead I was. He set me in the window, and he started chipping away. And then after getting done chipping away, he started adding things to me like Peggy and my family and the church and the calling and the ministry. All of us have to come to Christ to become. Then the achieving will come after that. And uh, all Christopher, the 15-year-old, he was so amazed that God was using him as an interpreter. By the time we got done, we said, now you can put it on your resume. He said, I think I'm going to be an interpreter. <laughs> he hasn't figured out what he's going to do in the university yet, but I said, he, already, he could already interpret for doctors or lawyers or preachers. His vocabulary in English is huge. And he's just an amazing kid. And I shared the story with him that I shared with you. I said, you know, when people come up and thank you, like we're thanking you for helping us, just jot it down, put it in your pocket, and at the end of the day, give them to Jesus and say, these belong to you. Because if it wasn't for you, regenerating my life, then none of this would be possible. If I didn't draw my life from you in becoming, then I wouldn't have any achievements. And sincerely, Lord, these belong to you because these achievements are yours in me. And so I, I was sent, sitting at the back of the church in, at Quadrivietos, and he was up playing the keyboard, and they stopped. And somebody thanked him publicly for playing and for interpreting. And they, everybody applauded. 
And I just looked up at him, and he was he looked back at me, and he went. I thought, hallelujah. You know, we've had an effect on this young man, and who knows where he's going to go. Somebody's got to lead Billy Graham to Jesus, right? For him to touch billions of people. Why not it be you? Just ask God, why not me? It's not all up to Jason Friend. It's not up to Billy Graham. It's up to you to touch your neighbor. And that's the relating part. That's the side that says, I'm going to be touching people as I go through life. I'm going to learn how to relate to others. I'm going to be, uh, I, I preached a message, and I actually had the notes on my phone here, that uh, of how that God set the, the Old Testament, there's settings of, of nations and clans and families. You can see it if you read the Old Testament, whole nations, and inside the nation, like the 12 tribes of Israel, the clans, and then down inside there's the families, you know, you get the sin of Achan. You know, that's how they got down to him, sorting down. And, and the three words that, that were there, fule, which is nation, and uh, what's this, uh, patria, you know, which is paternal or clan. And then it gets down to oikos, which is the word we use in the New Testament, the Greek, for a family unit. And all of us can relate to others. No matter how large our nation grows, I can always relate to a few people in it. No matter how large a church grows, you can always relate to a few people in it. That's why we're so driven by these life groups. Is that in the life group, I'm not lost. In the life group, I find life and I receive life and I give life to others. I may not be perfect, but I can at least pray for somebody. I can speak into their life. They can speak into mine. I can minister to them. They can minister to me on the level in which we both play. And then, then when some bigger level shows up, you have a series of tent meetings and you've got a Jason friend speaking. You say, well, we could go together to that. And maybe we could even contribute. We could do something. Maybe we could serve God there in some fashion. Well, let him do the preaching. He's the big guy. But down here where we live, we can relate to each other and we can achieve something together. And when we talk about evangelism, this uh, uh, banner over here, we're talking about life groups and evangelism. You know, evangelism just needs you and one other piece of person in the room. That's it. And you share the love of God with them, and they respond to the love of God. When they respond to the love of God and accept Christ, and you pray with them simply to let Jesus come into their heart, regenerate them, and start the process in them of becoming. Then his promise, Jesus' promise is this, where two of you are gathered together in my name, I'm in the midst. See, until then, it's just you and a sinner in the room. And when you lead them to a knowledge of Christ and they say yes to him, Jesus comes into the middle of that relationship and you're off and running. It's not hard. It's not difficult to be honest and open with somebody else about your faith. But you, need to, you do need to think about it ahead of time. Be ready to give an answer. The Bible says to every man who asks a reason of the hope that lies within you. You've got to be ready. Don't let it be random. I've used a couple of phrases over the years that have worked fairly well. Uh, people say, hey, what's up? I'll say, heaven. <laughs> you know, what do they expect to hear from me? I don't know, but I say, heaven. Oh, you see their face. Oh. Uh, and then I, as soon as they get that moment happening to them, I say, do you have your ticket? <laughs> 
because I understand that you have to get the ticket before we leave here. That's a simple conversation, but it's enough just to kind of oh, wake them up just for a second and see if uh, they can. I won't do that again. <laughs> so, it's a nervous habit, I'm sure, one that we need to quit. Be ready with an answer. You can do it with a checker. You can do it. I'm, I must admit to you, I'm not as interested as a pastoral type person in um, holding tent meetings, personally. I like the tent meetings. I'm in favor. Don't take this wrong. I'm very much in agreement with reaching our community in a big fashion that way. And in fact, I'll go on record and say this. 250 people is like 1% of our population, maybe. There's 10% of our population that call themselves believers in Christ. I think it's a shame that there were only 250 people there. That's a shame on the church. It's a, we really didn't do a good job. We had some great times. I love hearing Jason preach, but he and I talked. And he said, I don't know why this whole hillside isn't full. I said, well, I think I know why, and I think there's something we can do about it. But my goal is never to fill the hillside with people. My goal is to see us organized in small groups, reaching our friends and our neighbors and the oikos that we already know. We're not trying to yell out a big message to people we don't know. I looked around the 250 people last night, and, and I thought, I don't know that person, I don't know that person, I don't know that person. I, if we all stood, how many of us were there? I believe our congregation probably made up 10%, at least 10% of the population of the meetings every night. And so I'm proud of us for that. Thanks for showing up for duty and, and having a good time and letting the Lord bless you. And hopefully you got ministered to, and it's great. It's all good. But if we're organized in these small pockets of the body of Christ, and we together, 8 to 15 of us, 3 to 15, I think our definition says, right, 3 to 15 people, uh, if we would just target one family every six months and say, let's pray every week for that family that needs to know Christ. I believe every six months you would add a new family to your group. And they would come. You'd find a way to get them interested in Christ. You would find a way to reach out to them. You'd go do their laundry. You'd go rake their yard. You'd go take them food. You'd be so intimately in, in tune with the Spirit of God about praying for them that if they had a need, you'd be the first one to understand what it was. They had a loss in their family. Someone passed away. A kid needs extra school clothes. Whatever it is, you would know. And God would rush you in to meet the need. And in meeting the need, you would express the love of Christ. And every six months, you would add a new family. Or at least a new individual. And I believe that if you're faithful to praying like that and pursuing in that way one individual or one family unit every six months, that even if it's not that family unit, God will add somebody to you. It'll happen. It just will. Because you're going to be tuned to looking for them. And when that one doesn't respond and you say, well, they're still a blockhead, they're still not heads, whatever, they're not responding to Jesus, God will show you somebody else will respond quickly to the love of Christ. And you'll add them. And you'll begin, they're becoming, they're relating, and they're achieving. And in, in a year, if you had two families, and we had, let's just say we have ten cell groups, how many new people is that in the kingdom of God? You can do the math. But I, I, I would lay this at your feet to think about. That, at the end of one year, would produce more new converts in the church and in the body of Christ than probably we saw happen in all week at these meetings. It's just two different styles of reaching into the same community. But the style that God has given us to follow, the, the ministry that God has given us to do, 
in cell-based and cell-driven ministry will turn exponential over a period of years, and the math gets crazy. In fact, if you would like to, you can put in your marker there, March the 2nd next year, you'd like to go with me. Um, I'm helping Joel Comiskey Group organize a one-day conference with Joel Comiskey and Mario Vega, pastor of Elim in San Salvador, second charge, largest church in the world, cell church. 140,000 people in one church. The old building holds 7,500 people. They have multiple services every weekend, and even after the services are over, not everybody's part of the church. If you want to put that in your account, it's going to be right down in Reseda. You can drive down to it, be there all day with us, and hang out with us, and hear Mario Vega speak. And you'll be sitting in the largest Aleem church in the United States. It has 4,500 Latinos and 1,200 youth right here in Reseda. All cells. They just have a warehouse building to meet in when they meet but they're all over the greater Los Angeles area. That's one of two Elim churches. The other one has something like three or 4,000 El Salvadorians all organized in cells all over Los Angeles. It's just quietly taking over. So what's the result of that conversation? Come with me on March the 2nd and be a part of that day. And the second one is you need to learn Spanish really quick. <laughs> because give that about 15 more years, estamos in Espanol in Southern California. We're going to all have to speak Spanish. There's a word for it. It's called Reconquista. <laughs> it they're reconquering what they lost. <laughs> well, I hope that's been helpful to you. It's time to be done. And I urge you, I urge you to stay focused on the foundation of the triangle. Become who you are in Christ. Allow him to be himself through you. And then let the achieving and the relating come more naturally after that. There's, it doesn't have to happen randomly. There's, there's, I mean, we can equip you to know how to relate and how to achieve, of course, in the body. And we've got an equipping track for leadership that will help you grow in Christ and mature in Christ. If you'd like to be in it, just you know, let us know and, or let yourself uh, leader know and we can get you in the equipping track and help you grow systematically and, and point you in the right direction for relating and achieving. It's not, it doesn't have to be a guesswork thing. There's, there's a track you can get your little train on. And uh, you can come out the other end saying, hey, I actually did something and my life counts. And that would take us back to my, my introduction where I was saying that all of us possess an inward desire that our life and work would have meaning and permanence. We want to have an eternal difference. We want to be able to say with Paul, I fought the fight, I ran the race, I kept the faith. And now, therefore, there's a crown laid up for me. Not just for me, but for all those who love his appearing. Do you love his appearing this morning? You're looking forward to the return of Christ? Yeah, amen. It's more than an escape hatch, though. We've got some work to do before it comes. Jesus said, this gospel will be preached to every nation in the world, every tongue and every kindred. Every nation's got to hear the gospel before it comes back. So... I'm not looking at all the signs of the times that look pretty good for his return. But there's that one big one that says the gospel's not done being preached all over the world. Some of you have still got to go someplace and, uh, and experience preaching the gospel in a foreign nation. So, Father, this morning, I pray that you will help us to get focused on becoming 
who we are in you. That you will help us to understand we've been born again for a purpose. And that that purpose has eternal ramifications. Where we're not just to exist day by day and to take up space and time and just breathe in and out the air. But Lord, you've got something for us. Some of us already know what it is. Lord, I ask that you would breathe your life into it again. That you will revive your work in us. For those who have recently called upon you, Lord, I pray that you will excite them with the idea and the concept that you have eternal purposes for them to achieve. And in that, you have people for them to relate to on an intimate basis who will help them to grow and to walk out their newfound faith in Christ. I ask you for this in Jesus' name, for his sake, for his glory, and for his honor, that each of us would be able to say like Paul, we ran the race, we kept the faith, we fought the fight. And when we come home, we'll be proud to be there. Thank you for these things this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for giving me a shout out of here this morning. And if you're available at 2, feel free to come fold up a few chairs and help finish this thing off, okay? See you at see you dinner next week, but I don't see you before. I hope.